Welcome to 15-Minute Papers, a journal club for those short on time and brain cells. Each episode, we're going to walk you through a scientific paper with the person who knows it best, the actual author. We'll first start out by introducing the main work of the lab, and then move into a quick 15-minute breakdown of their paper. Hi, everybody. I'm Erin Mihalsik. And I'm Zach Bernstein. And this week, we're joined by Ennis Godet in Daniel Gilk's lab in the Department of Oncology at Johns Hopkins University. Yeah, so first, welcome to the podcast. And before we get into uh, the meat of the paper that we're going to talk about, we just wanted to ask you about some of the goals that your lab uh, has and how do you personally fit in? So our lab uh, is a part of the breast cancer program uh, in the oncology department. So our main focus is obviously uh, breast cancer. And we study the tumor microenvironment with particular focus on hypoxia. And hypoxia is basically oxygen deprivation, which happens in primary tumors because, you know, the cells are dividing so fast. The blood vessels are not there or the ones that are present are not fully functional. So in the end, these cancer cells experience very low levels of oxygen. Interestingly, you would think that a cell without oxygen would die. And yes, that's true. Some of the cells die. But cancer cells can actually adapt to this extreme condition by regulating a very popular at the moment cellular response to hypoxia through the hypoxia-inducible factors one and two. So this is the focus of our lab, investigating hypoxia, not only in the context of the tumor microenvironment, but also how does this play a role in the metastatic process, since it has been widely shown that hypoxia correlates with worse patient prognosis, uh, metastasis, and it's known that it can regulate many aggressive pathways. Why specifically breast cancers? I know that a lot of solid tumors have this hypoxic issue, but why are you guys specifically studying breast cancer and that interaction? Yeah, so yeah, you're absolutely right. It is thought that 90% of solid tumors have hypoxic regions. As a matter of fact, you know, uh, breast tumors are actually solid, very solid. And there are some studies. Uh, comparing breast, normal breast versus tumor tissue in breast cancer. And it was shown that the, the oxygen, the median oxygen in this tissue is 1%, which is highly, highly hypoxic, you know, compared to the 20% that we breathe. Um, so breast cancer just happens to be a very hypoxic type of cancer. And since it's a very metastatic, or it can be a very metastatic type of cancer, uh, we have this curiosity, I guess. Let's just put that all together. Imagine a cancer spontaneously forming in the body. It begins as a collection of cells that grows and divides uncontrollably, creating a primary tumor. The rapid division of cells leads to the exhaustion of available oxygen from our blood supply. To give you an idea of what the different levels of oxygen mean, we breathe in air that is 20% oxygen, but breast tissue typically has oxygen levels of 8%. 
At less than 1% oxygen, however, we enter a state called hypoxia. Hypoxia is defined simply as a deficiency in oxygen levels at the site of a tissue. Tumors experience such hypoxic conditions and undergo very different biochemical processes in order to survive, which we'll get more into later. Ines's lab works with understanding the relationship between hypoxia, primary tumors, and metastasis. So what is metastasis? When a cancer cell escapes the primary tumor, it may survive a long, arduous journey through the bloodstream and take up residence in another organ. There, it begins to expand and create a new tumor. This deadly process is called metastasis. With that background out of the way, let's talk about how we measure hypoxia. Yeah, so going into a little bit of the background research that motivated this paper, can you explain what was known about the levels of hypoxia in tumors before uh, you published this paper and what was exactly lacking in how scientists were typically measuring the levels of oxygen or just probing it? Yeah, so yeah, so the main issue with detecting oxygen in tumors is that, you know, there's a few direct methods, needle probes that you can actually insert into the tumor. Um, there's hypoxic probes that you can actually, they are fluorescent or that you can then stain. But all of this gives you either indirect measurements or regional measurements, and none of them is going to be there once the cell starts entering the part of the tumor with higher oxygen content. But basically, everything would turn on under hypoxia and shut down once the cells become reoxygenated. Today, we're going to focus on one of your recent papers published in Nature Communications titled Fate Mapping Post-Hypoxic Tumor Cells Reveals a Ross-Resistant Phenotype That Promotes Metastasis. And so we just wanted to get started with an overview of your work. So could you give us a quick sentence or two on what the goal of this paper was? So literally up until this point, we could not know the fate of a hypoxic cell in the tumor, mainly because once a cell is reoxygenated, it loses the hypoxia cellular response. So the HIF-1 and the HIF-2. So it was really hard for us to know, okay, do, do these cells even metastasize? So in this work, we developed a fate mapping system using fluorescent proteins that allow us to mark a cell when it becomes hypoxic in a primary tumor and then just trace it throughout the metastatic cascade. So you keep mentioning HIF-1 and HIF-2 uh, proteins, but can you kind of go a little bit more into how those are the genetic and protein signatures that relate to hypoxia? Sure. So the hypoxia-inducible factors act as heterodimers, uh, but HIF-1-alpha was the first one to be discovered, and it's the main regulator of the hypoxia response. And HIF-2-alpha basically acts a lot like HIF-1, but it doesn't regulate as many genes, at least that's what we know so far. And basically, under oxygen deprivation, this protein or these transcription factors can actually be stabilized. And once they are stabilized, they can actually travel into the nuclei where they're going to bind to if one beta, which is permanently active. And once the half alpha and beta units are together, this complex can then bind to any hypoxia responsive element in the genome and upregulate many genes. So, so far, 
there's studies showing that more than a thousand genes can be transcriptionally regulated this way. Let's rewind a little bit. HIF1-alpha and HIF2-alpha are proteins that stabilize under hypoxic conditions. When they're stabilized, they bind a partner protein to form a gene-regulating complex. This complex can bind regions in the genome called hypoxia-responsive elements to express several genes, some of which are involved in handling hypoxic conditions. Previous techniques for studying hypoxia would track this HIF protein complex. However, the moment any cell became reoxygenated, HIF would disappear, along with the ability to track that cell. It was important for Ines to develop a technique that allowed her to trace a cell even after it left hypoxic conditions. This meant she could track it as it potentially metastasized. This technique is called fate mapping, which we're now going to walk you through. In figure one you of the paper, you present this technique you've been speaking about and use for the rest of the paper uh, to act as an indicator about whether cells have been exposed to hypoxic conditions at any point in their lifetime. Can you describe what motivated the detailed engineering of the system and why exactly it's called fate mapping? Yeah, sure. We want it to be permanent, meaning that once a cell is exposed to hypoxia, we know that it's going to turn some color and then it's going to stay that color independently of what happens next. So the problem in tracking hypoxic cells is that they can easily become reoxygenated. Whether they're close to our blood vessels or actually in the bloodstream, previously hypoxic cells can suddenly return to normal. This means conventional methods of tracking hypoxia disappear. A permanent switch needed to be designed to turn on when tumor cells become hypoxic and remain on for their entire life. Ennis designed a Cree-LOX mechanism that under non-hypoxic conditions expresses a red fluorescent protein. However, under hypoxic conditions, when those HIF proteins are active, Cree is activated as well. It cleaves the red fluorescent gene out, exposing a new green fluorescent gene, and no matter what, these cells will now permanently fluoresce green. That would be the only way that we could actually map metastasis, right? Because these cells are going to go into the bloodstream which is oxygenated. They're going to go into the lung, which is oxygenated. So we wanted the, the fluorescent switch to be permanent. Oh, and by the way, if you want to hear more about the Cree lock system, go check out our article from last episode on our website. With this method of tracking hypoxic cells, Ines wanted to see what happened in actual tumors. She expected to see hypoxic cells at the core of primary tumors in mouse models. You may expect these cells to die, but spoiler alert, these guys may actually be driving metastasis. The interesting part was that as the tumor was growing, we could see that these cells were actually able to proliferate and start, you know, invading away towards oxygen-rich regions, you know, the periphery of the tumor. These oxygen-deprived cells are surprisingly able to migrate out of the core to the periphery where they no longer experience hypoxic conditions. There, these cells are close to the blood vessels through which they can escape into the bloodstream and potentially seed a new tumor. Considering this, Innes wanted to see whether hypoxic cells were even exiting into the bloodstream. In figure 6, she showed that these hypoxic cells were four times more prominent in the blood than non-hypoxic tumor cells. Her next question was obviously why. Were these hypoxic cells more likely to leave the tumor, or were they just better at surviving in the bloodstream? Great question, Erin. 
Figure 7 answered that first question. Ines used an in vitro tumor model to track individual cell movements. She saw that hypoxic cells were in fact moderately better at escaping the tumor model, suggesting that these cells might be better at exiting into the bloodstream in vivo. But even though the hypoxic cells were better at leaving the tumor, that didn't account for why there was a much higher proportion of them in the bloodstream. Previous work has shown that all tumor cells often die in the bloodstream because of high levels of reactive oxygen species, or ROS. These ROS are a family of highly toxic chemicals that when unregulated can lead to cell death. Cancer cells that have entered the bloodstream begin to encounter more and more ROS, threatening their survival and ability to metastasize. Ennis's final question was, does previous exposure to hypoxic environments provide tumor cells with a greater toolkit to survive the toxic bloodstream? Not to give it away, but the answer was yes. Let's ask Ennis why. In the second to last figure, you really delve into this idea by investigating the relationship these hypoxic fate map cells have with uh, the reactive oxygen species. So you show that the non-hypoxic cells have more reactive oxygen species and are consequently more prone to apoptosis. So the simple question sort of is, why, why does a resistance to ROS play such a significant role in changing the ability of certain cells to survive in the bloodstream versus others? So we thought, okay, so maybe let's look at the bloodstream. Let's evaluate ROS because that's one of the main stress is that the cells have to endure and see if there's a difference. So when we saw a difference at that point, we hypothesized, okay, these, GF, these post-hypoxic cells must be better prepared to survive this um, stress in the bloodstream. And then we did some work to show that. But I think the hypothesis is simple. So these cells are sitting in the most aggressive region in the primary tumor. They are dealing with chronic hypoxia, almost anoxia, and also it is known that chronic hypoxia can drive accumulation of reactive oxygen species. So most likely these cells are also dealing with reactive oxygen species in these regions. So in order to survive, you know, they're going to activate the HIF-1-alpha and God knows what else, and they're going to be able to survive this stress, which includes reactive oxygen species, we believe. So we think that, you know, they have this phenotype and once they get to the bloodstream, they're basically ready to go. They're going to be much better prepared than the DS red cells or the cells that never really experienced that aggressive level of hypoxia. In the last figure of the paper, you, at the end, you recap that mechanism that you, you're proposing as the way that these hypoxic fate map cells are enhancing tumor metastasis. So can you summarize this pathway all the way from the tumor growth to colonization of other organs? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so we try to study whatever advantages these post-hypoxic cells could have versus DS red cells or cells that never experienced hypoxia at different steps of the metastatic cascade. And we found that it was four to five times more likely to find GFP cells in the bloodstream and in the lung. It led us to believe that surviving the bloodstream and entering the lung was the, the driver where, let's say, was the, the step where these cells had the biggest advantage. 
Yeah, so thank you for um, walking through the paper with us. We just have a few more questions sort of on some next steps and miscellaneous other things. So what future work after the completion and publishing of this paper still needs to be done and what updates do you have? Yeah, so definitely we want to identify the drivers of this hypoxia slash ROS resistant phenotype. And it has been very challenging, in fact. So we're basing off, you know, our hypothesis from the in vivo observations. We're using RNA sequencing to look at gene expression of these cells and then grow from there. But since all our observations are in vivo, then it's very tricky to go back to the lab in vitro and try to investigate these mechanisms. So that, ha that has been challenging, but we're trying to get down to some potential genes associated or not with hypoxia response. And hopefully we'll be able to find some ultimate target that we can potentially use uh, in some therapy. So you're kind of getting at our next question, which is just what does this paper specifically, what um, broader impacts or clinical impacts does the discoveries you made in the paper make? It comes to confirm what the field already thought, which was, okay, hypoxic tumors correlate with worse prognosis, hypoxic tumors correlate with metastasis, but nobody really knew if these hypoxic cells could actually do anything. And we showed that these cells are actually drivers of metastasis. So I think for starters, it would be great to have a hypoxia measurement, you know, in the diagnosis stage and see if the primary tumor is hypoxic. And if it is, you know, start thinking about some HIF-1 inhibitors. And then as we go down and better characterize this post-hypoxic phenotype, hopefully we'll be able to point out some more specific targets that we could potentially use. At that, thank you. Our last question is the most open-ended and you can take it however you want. What's next for you? So I really like this, this project and I really think that there's still a lot to be done. So I really hope that I can at least finish up one of the stories I'm working on, but also I'm a senior PhD student, so it will be time to move on soon. And <laughs> Which, you know, is sad, but still exciting at the same time. And I'll definitely want to continue uh, research in metastasis. Metastasis is the cause of 90% of cancer-related deaths, right? We all know this sentence. So it's definitely something that has my full attention at this point. So, yeah. Well, thank you for joining us today, Ennis. And we will let you get back to your mice. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. If you want to delve a little deeper into the science behind this paper or drop us a comment, you could find us at 15minutepapers.github.io. That's 15minutepapers.github.io. Thanks for listening. <laughs>